Welcome to the Positive Education Podcast. I'm your host, Rhiannon McGee. The Positive Education Podcast aims to engage with experts in the field of wellbeing and positive education in order to provide you with insights and strategies to advance positive education in your school environments and beyond. Today on the show, we have Tom Brunzel. Tom has experience as a teacher, school leader, researcher and education advisor in New York and Melbourne. Currently, he is the Director of Education at Berry Street, Victoria's largest child and family welfare organisation, working with trauma-affected children and their families. Tom presents internationally on topics of transforming school cultures, high expectations for differentiated instruction, trauma-informed practice, well-being and the application of positive psychology and effective school leadership. He is also a PhD candidate at the University of Melbourne, the Melbourne Graduate School of Education, studying trauma-informed pedagogy, positive psychology and their impacts on workplace meaning. Welcome, Tom. Thank you, Rhiannon. So, Tom, how did you begin your career in education? Yeah, I was a uh, Teach for America Corps member and I was sent to the Bronx uh, over a decade ago, well, much more over a decade ago now. And um, I was sent up to the Bronx with some training. Uh, For those of your listeners who know the Bronx, my school was across the street from Yankee Stadium and it was a fifth floor walk up in an old hotel and I had 35 students, and those 35 little ones and me were traipsing up and down the stairs. And uh, I often say I've made, I made every single mistake possible in those early years, and uh, my career to date is a bit of a karmic journey of healing for <laughs> myself and other teachers who made those mistakes. And so when you were in New York, Tom, I believe that around the time we had Marty Seligman um, out at Geelong Grammar School working with us, you also were connected to Marty. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited to be here today uh, because I've been to your beautiful campus many times. Mm. But today I get to share stories like this. So Mm. about a decade ago, which makes sense to your 10 years of celebration, Mm. um, my boss, who was the director of education for the KIPP schools, And at the time, I was the dean of students and co-founder of KIPP Infinity Charter School in Harlem. Uh, He met Marty at a party. Wow. (laughs) And uh, the very next day, uh, as fate would have it, he um, pulled me aside and said, hey, I have a sense that maybe you're interested in this resilience stuff. And I was doing um, my second master's degree then on uh, resilience in schools, looking at Karen Rivich's work. And uh, Marty and, and Dave Levin knew that. And he said, would you want to be on the team that works closely with Seligman and his pen friends? And off we were running. Um, and I did check all my dates driving up here today. Um, I could have met you fine folks about a decade ago wow. because I was scheduled due to a very generous invitation to fly here from New York to be part of your initial training. And then I know, right? Cool. Wow. As and trainer? Yeah. When oh, wow. Karen's team was here yeah. all those years ago. And then uh, the GFC happened <laughs> and oh. I was called into an office saying, we are not flying you all the way across the world to meet those Geelong people. So I said, oh, okay, that's fine, you know, and we went about our way. We worked very closely with uh, Angela Duckworth and uh, Marty's teams, and I was the first leader of that team. Um, We didn't call it Pause Ed at the time. 
time we called it resilience stuff and character strength stuff. And uh, I led the work across five New York City schools and uh, the partnership that we had with Penn. So when it, you know, when I moved here uh, eight years ago, you know, I think the third place I visited was here really? and I got to meet Justin and uh, your team and thought, this is a beautiful thing happening that was 10 years in the making. Wow. And yeah. here we are. And here we are. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And so tell me, tell me a little bit about what brought you to Australia then um, after yeah. this illustrious career in America um, <laughs> and the work you've been doing here. Yeah. So in America at the KIPP school, we became very successful and uh, we were for a while one of the top schools for raising uh, student achievement in very low socioeconomic circumstances. And we attributed that to our very close work with the University of Pennsylvania's Mm -hmm. PawPsych team. And a lot of people from around the world were interested in what we were doing, so they would come and see stuff. And uh, one of those groups was from Barry Street, Victoria. And uh, they meant to spend a couple of days at our school following us around and learning things. And uh, one of those people canceled the rest of their trip and spent a month with us. And at the end of that trip, we had an offer that said, would you ever think about coming to Victoria? And uh, long, long story short, uh, nine years later, I'm a proud citizen. Wow. And so I know that Berry Street has a trauma-informed positive education model. Is that, is that the way you yeah. describe it? Yeah. How has that evolved? Yeah, thanks. Um, I love have a deep love for what we're doing. Um, let's say integrating well-being science into what we do in schools. And in my work, I saw too many what I might call mindfulness disasters. Uh, What I mean by that is a well-meaning teacher trying to do mindfulness in front of a group of dysregulated students and it not going so well and not having very specific strategies to reach uh, perhaps the students that need it the most. And so in my early work at Berry Street, uh, I started working closely with teachers who said, you know, we'll do anything to build self-regulation with our kids. However, these kids, they don't do mindfulness. And I just thought, nah, you can't give up on the mindfulness. We've just got to find a way to reframe it to make it possible for teachers working on the front lines to see that pause ed is for everyone and that um, perhaps... Uh, my early research was to investigate the ways that teachers could integrate pause in into what I would call classroom management. Now, I know that name has a lot of names, so I know I don't want anyone to get nervous around that, but supporting positive student behavior is yep. another nice way to say that. <laughs> nice and pacey. I yep. do think that's important to be correct. Mm. But uh, what we realize is the students that needed it the most, the students that had to build self-regulatory strength, and to connect their mind to their bodies, which is mindfulness, yeah. I think, a beautiful example of. Um, it, uh, to, to rewind the clock just a bit, when I arrived at Berry Street, um, we were obsessed with this notion of what we now call trauma-aware practice. Mm-hmm. And that the idea of, tronic, of, of trauma and chronic stress and the influences of those things on communities of great disadvantage what does that mean to a young person's learning and what does that mean to building school culture in positive ways? And so we 
We're holding on at Barry Street to ideas, working with traumatology researchers around what it would mean to professional practice to integrate trauma-aware ideas. And I just had this sense of silos at this time because all of the researchers that I and practitioners that I had the privilege of working with, they at the time did not think that pause ed and well-being meant something to them and said, well, no, no, our kids have to heal. Like our kids have to fix stuff before they can have a robust care, uh, conversation about their strengths and about all of the things we love about pause ed. And something just didn't feel right about that because I just thought... You know, a kid who struggles is struggling for a few reasons. Now we understand they're struggling because they don't know how to meet their own needs in healthy ways. And that shouldn't preclude a teacher to teaching through pause ed. They just needed a bit of translation, I think. And I think the strategies needed to be spun out in ways that felt possible. So together with my... um, research friends, uh, Professor Lee Waters and Associate Professor Helen Stokes at the University of Melbourne, um, who are also my PhD research supervisors. Uh, We began to put together ideas that uh, begin to position trauma-aware practice with PAUSED, and I'd like to think in a very strategic way to convince teachers that all of these ideas could be useful they just needed support in uh, helping to understand how and why and then a very practical way to do things. So, Tom, can you? I know that you work with a number of schools across Australia and therefore probably thousands upon thousands of teachers. Can you give us some insight into some of the strategies that you share with these educators in your work with them? Really, yes. I think to anyone who's listening... The importance of the body has arisen in our work as the first protocol for intervention. That, um, like I said before, we work with students who I will rudely say their mind is not so much connected to their body. And now we realize why. Because if you are easily... Um, if you are easily escalated, if your stress response is on high alert because you have been in survival mode for a very, very long time, and to be quite serious, uh, at Barry Street, we have the state's largest family violence team, and we work with um, women and their families as they are contending with significant struggle. And we know from our research in post-traumatic growth and promoting post-traumatic growth in children that our kids aren't getting better by someone lecturing them on their bad choices and they're not getting better uh, based on more talking about things, but they have to have opportunities to build um, alignment, resources, and strength in their own bodies. So we love, um, you know, to a long-winded answer to your question, what do teachers need to know? They need to know that sitting in front of them in their classroom are these little bodies that are constantly reacting to uncertainty or the escalation of stress or the escalation of not knowing how to do something. And in our kid case, our kids are so escalated that they will go to zero to 100 in two seconds and they didn't mean to say what they said or they didn't mean to do what they did. But now they've created an embarrassing meltdown and now they have to fix it and that fixing it is something that they need a lot of support to do. So again, all the things that we can do to strengthen 
the body, such as rhythm in the classroom through games, through brain breaks. And I know that we're very proud of our co-authored brain break book, uh, our two institutes together. Uh, but remembering all the things that we've learned through Pauzet around breathing and around de-escalation and having specific strategies to take care of yourself when you're escalated. Um, that's what I want teachers to think about first. Mm, such important work. Thanks. Um, and I know uh, probably one of the criticisms of positive education is that um, in many ways it's emerged in um, wealthier contexts perhaps um, and therefore it could be seen as wellbeing for rich kids or, um, or really only applicable to that particular context. But can you kind of challenge that, that criticism of POSED perhaps with your own actual experience on the ground in schools that might not be considered wealthy or that particular context. Yeah, I appreciate that, especially because I think Rianne and both of us can be perceived as working in silos. Yeah. Like obviously um, your team at Geelong and my team at Berry Street where, where, you know, oh, we work in what it looks like cosmetically as opposite sides of the community. But I know that you know we're uh, we're needed in so many communities and it's so short-sighted to say that because these ideas have arisen from certain places that they don't belong in all schools so i that's why i love the um the synergy that's happening between our two organizations uh i just think every campus no matter whether you're from very high SES and high-flying students shooting their way to university and beyond or the kind of context I work in, we still have students who are every day are trying to contend with very uncertain world in front of them. And some students look like they have it all their stuff together and we know they're imploding. We call that acting in. Uh, and some students, they let you know when they are escalated and don't know how to deal with the world around them. So I think that happens in all school environments. And one of the coolest things uh, that happens in our work is people say, oh, Barry Street, we knew that you were one of the state's largest providers of out-of-home care. But I think that makes us pretty good at understanding uh, vulnerable children. And therefore, our work in this space is not designed therapeutically for one-on-one -on -one spaces because we do have a fleet of clinicians and social workers and psychologists. And, you know, my team at the education model, the Barry Street education model, we're not training people to become those therapeutic workers, but we are therapeutically informed. And we love the idea that every teacher in Australia could be therapeutically informed. And that would be to help strengthen cultures of healing and growth in all of our classrooms. And finally, I got to send this long-winded answer with something that Marty told me. At a, I believe it was some dinner a long time ago, and it's nice to say that sentence yeah. starter. Uh, you know, when somebody said, somebody at the table said, when's the perfect age to teach this stuff? And uh, at the time, he said, you know, nine and ten years old, because we never know when somebody is going to need this. You know, we don't know when someone's going to learn a strategy and they need it for tomorrow's history exam, or we don't know when someone's going to grow up and have a family of their own and recall some strategy that they had many, many, many times to practice over and over again. So it feels automatic. And I think that's the point of all this. It is. And it's nice to hear that, Tom, because sometimes even I, as the head of POS Ed, think, are we having an impact? You know, because sometimes it's not as immediately obvious as 
other other approaches and other disciplines but we do have to hope and trust don't we but we also have to do our very best to assess our approach and make sure it's as effective as possible and I know that's what your PhD has been focused on really hasn't it is am I right yeah um I um I'm very. I'm feeling particularly restful because I submitted my PhD for examination. Oh, congratulations! <laughs> so so yes, yeah, thank yeah. you very much. Uh, my partner is very happy about yeah, that. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, the uh, what we what we could. Um, so what what do I research? Um, I've unified a few of the interests that we've been talking about. Mm. Um, my first. My first point of research was to study the effects of vicarious trauma and vicarious um, compassion fatigue in teachers. Oh. And now, of course, you know, N equals one. And, uh, you know, I was thinking, gosh, how, what, what do I wish that I had known about as a new teacher in the Bronx? And I wish that somebody had told me, hey, you know, when you're standing in front of a group of students and they are really dysregulated, you're not going to be able to stop mirroring and mirroring the effects of that in your own body, whether you cognitively are aware of that or not. And I was not aware of it. So they were dysregulated and heightened and escalated, and I was. And I didn't understand what was happening. So I thought, okay, so I, I want to go quite deeply into the effects of dysregulated classrooms on teacher and teacher well-being. And uh, so that was the first part. And then the second part was the conceptual model of trauma aware posit and thinking if we could take the domains of what we believe posit to be, but resituate them in a pragmatic sequence for teachers to learn and then for teachers to practice that could pause ed be made available to teachers who had given up on it because they didn't think their te- their kids were ready to sit down and learn it. So that became sort of the middle of my PhD. And then the end of it was studying the effects of this trauma where pause ed model on teacher practice. And uh, we learned a few things, if I can share yeah, that. Yeah, I would love to hear what you learned. <laughs> before, I, before we write all the publications yeah. Yeah. up. Uh, I, we suspect, <laughs> I mm. use my researcher language, <laughs> you know, there very were two, thank yes. you very much. You know, there were two groups of teachers that I followed for quite some time. Mm. And I'd say the group in uh, the teachers in group one, they learned what we were doing in trauma where posit, and they found it to be applicable to themselves. Mm. And they, you know, part of what this journey was about was to say, if you want to build self a culture of self-regulation and relational strength in your classroom, then as a teacher, it's probably best that you internalize that and model that because if you don't, you will not have a buffer against the effects of secondary stress exposure, et cetera. So the teachers in group one internalized it and gave story after story, data data point after data point of what it meant to them to bring these strategies into their own life. And then they taught them. And what they found is that both groups themselves and their students were building these things. Uh, in group number two uh, was a group of teachers that said, you know what, I'm really, really busy and I really love my students and I just want to do the best for them. And so, but they also did not state that they integrated this into their own lives and they didn't bring it, they didn't bring trauma aware positive education home with them. Like that was a work thing and I keep work at work. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And interestingly enough, uh, at the end of this, uh, the year that I was researching, those teachers in the second group reported lower well-being, although they reported higher student outcomes. So we can see how, yes, this idea of trauma-aware positive is important and helps students, but I'm particularly interested in the dynamic relationship between teacher and student together because we don't have a lot of time. It's really important, I think, to see our work as perhaps a path of refinement for ourselves and learning. So it's pretty nice that we can do something for ourselves and it helps our community at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose it's just that the importance of that authenticity and we talk about learning and living before you can bring anything into the classroom. And I think that really resonates through your research Thanks. or some of it. So how do you think you'll proceed with those outcomes, which are pretty interesting and insightful? Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, it helps us, um, <clears throat> I think it helps us a number of ways. I mean, I, I hope that it contributes to thinking for a lot of us when we um, tell teachers you've got to learn it and then you have to live it. Mm -hmm. And I know that helps a lot of people, but we still have a group of people who think, oh, live it is nice and I'm a good person and I'm good at relationships, so no worries, you know. But uh, I think there's a different group in there that says, huh, okay, I'm pretty good at relationships, so I want to get better at it. And so what can I learn from this research uh, to improve my own relationships in my own life and the ones mm -hmm. with my students? So what advice would you give teachers in the realm of, I suppose, their well-being and focusing on cultivating self-regulation mm. to contribute to cultures of self-regulation? What would be a couple of key pieces of advice? I know it's hard to... Yeah, I like that question, though. Um, I know... Okay, I have to be careful because I've said this in public and it got misconstrued. So here we go. <laughs> I am in no way, in any way, discouraging anyone from personal practice around perhaps things like yoga mm -hmm. and tai chi and mindfulness and mm. connecting to others. We have to do those well-being practices. Yeah. However, I do think, and I'm pretty confident to say, those are very important things, but if we are not looking to create the culture of self-regulation and relationship in our own classrooms, then your well-being probably is not going to improve the way we want it to mm. in cultures that are very much governed by student stress. Mm. And so I want teachers to do both. I want them to take care of themselves and be aware of things like compassion fatigue and be aware of the effects that are happening, things that are happening to them in their own bodies on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And I also want teachers to strengthen their ability to teach um, kids that need these things. So I think the contention is if you don't see your job as improving your own pedagogy and your own mm -hmm. practice, then chances are you may not see the increases in your own workplace well-being. Mm, very good. Thank you, Tom. I think that's given me some inspiration too. <laughs> um, can you tell me, so I know that Berry Street offers um, a training program for teachers, which no doubt would encompass a lot of what, what we've been discussing. Can you tell me um, what essentially the uh, your model yeah. um, encompasses and how that um, is communicated through that training? What would be the teacher experience if they engage with the Berry Street training? Thank you. Um, we've broken up our work into five domains, uh, and the first, and they're developmental based mm -hmm. on helping children meet developmental needs. And so the first, you would not be surprised, is called the body. Mm -hmm. And in the body, we have strategies for teachers to build a culture of de-escalation, a culture of rhythm and routine, 
and all of the kinds of things we know great teachers do intuitively. But we want to surface that and give teachers very specific rhythms and routines to hold that classroom. Because in the body domain of our work, we want the classroom to have a sense of uh, inhale and exhale together, perhaps, right? A sense of group rhythm. So you come into my space, we're going to do things together to bring us quickly into a community, then exhale into learning, and then come back into a community. And so that constant um, sway to and from myself as an individual, leaning into community, coming back into my own learning, um, all of those, we would say, is a teacher really focusing what's happening on students' bodies. Mm -hmm. Then the second domain is called relationship. And in this domain, we don't teach people how to get to know each other because <laughs> people can do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we never say things like get to know what the student likes and all that stuff. But uh, that's in our work, relationship is code for excellent classroom management. Okay. That, uh, you know, if you're a, if you're a primary school teacher, uh, perhaps this is easy, but nothing's easy, but you might have only 30 students in your classroom. And so you see them all a lot. Mm -hmm. But if you're a specialist teacher or you're a high school teacher, you can have 400 students. Mm -hmm. So you don't have an hour to walk each kid around the oval, but you do have micro moments. Mm -hmm. And so based on what I know a lot of your listeners would know around micro moments, yeah. around positive mm -hmm. resonance, uh, we will take that and say, you've got micro moments with each student. So you have to make those count. And that's mm -hmm. called in our work, building a relationship. Yeah. Uh, because with our kids, when they don't get their own way, they can stage catastrophic baby attacks. And uh, it's how a teacher repairs that and how a teacher holds that that we think really forms relationships in the classrooms we work with. Uh, after a teacher learns body and relationship, then we swing into pause ed our way. And here we have a word uh, of the third domain called stamina. And we have thought a lot uh, that if body and relationship are strengthening the body and the body's ability to be uh, a, a closely connected with a, in a classroom community, then stamina moves a teacher into thinking about the students' uh, brains <laughs> and saying, you know what, all of us have something called a window of tolerance. And I would therapeutically say that's that gray zone in our heads that we can hold uncertainty and when you are growing up in great disadvantage, for a lot of our kids, uh, they don't have a big ability to hold uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And that's when they will have meltdowns or they will act in. So also, we work with teachers who say, oh, well, you know, I, that, that kid Brody, you know, I love him, but uh, he can only work for about a minute at a time. Mm -hmm. And we're like, yeah, totally. He can only work for a minute at a time. He's never <laughs> finished. Yeah. yeah, he's never finished a book he's ever been yeah. given, even though the book's on his level. So. Yeah. Uh, we think stamina is a pretty nice marker for teachers to think you got to build stamina to stay on task one minute at a time. And so that's where we bring in our notion of resilient mindset, uh, emotional intelligence, growth mindset, those strategies that I think when you are well regulated and you take a breath, you can call upon those toolkit strategies to say, how do I stay with this? Uh, the fourth domain is called engagement, and that's when we harness Barry Street's expertise in motivation and goal setting, and and uh, this is when we talk to teachers about cultures of flow in the classroom and keeping kids very engaged. And then finally, character, and uh, how do we create a strengths-based language that is very consistent across the whole campus. And so with that model, 
um, it's I, I imagine is a, it's kind of like building blocks. Those yeah. portions of building blocks you can't have the character without um, the body, or or is it a little bit less linear than that? It is both linear yeah. and not linear because yeah, okay. kids are messy. Yes, exactly. Kids <laughs> classrooms all, are messy. And yeah. Classrooms are messy, and every kid yeah. develops in their own way. Yeah. So in it, it's it's both a heuristic model, mm-hmm. but also a guide. Um, so. You know, for a lot of schools, they'll say, well, where do we start? Mm-hmm. And what we would say is, well, we're not going to just jump in with resilient self-talk and yeah. do that as the first thing in mm-hmm. um, February. We would rather you start the way we would recommend, which is the body, right? And mm-hmm. say, okay, cultures of self-regulation, de-escalation, et cetera. Um, and then as you as a teacher grow your capacity to do these things, then bring in each topic as it flows into through the year. However, we work with awesome people and teachers across our country who are, have been thinking about character strengths for a really long time. And so they'll say, well, what does this mean? We'll say, you just do what you do and love what you do. Uh, And if, as you're rolling out our work and our, our strategies, make sure you start at the beginning, but keep going with what you're doing. I mean, if you're obsessed with character strengths and make sure every one of those kids knows their strengths and can make sure they're using them in smart ways. Yeah. I mean, Tom, it's such a um, applicable, powerful model, I think, um, and I can only imagine by the f- pure virtue of the fact that Berry Street education is growing and growing that you are having an enormous impact on schools around Australia. Can you give us a little insight into the way, well, the, the level of reach, I suppose, that you're having now? Yeah. You know, it's... um. We have had an incredible growth in terms of the demand for our work, but I also am very aware that that speaks to incredible concern around disadvantage yeah. in in our country. Uh, but the hope here, I think, is that so many people are waking up now to say, oh, there is so much more I can do. Mm. And there is, there are more things I can learn. So uh, we have trained uh, quite a lot of people in our public courses. And we also work with schools and larger school systems. Uh, so uh, I, I often laugh because I meet lots of school leaders and they say, oh, we're, the, we're in the Bronx of, Br- of Brisbane. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, I, and I always laugh and say, well, I'm from the Bronx. <laughs> <laughs> but I do take those things seriously because we yeah. do, you know, here in uh, here in uh, Victoria, the first um, communities that we started to work with were communities like Melton and uh, Broadmeadows and Morwall and Shepparton. And also driving here tonight, today, um, saw our uh, saw our friends at uh, Northern Bay uh, yeah. in Corio. So we're very aware that many, many families and school leaders want to have proactive ways of working. And so our work has carried us that way. Also, I'm very proud of this. Um, We're involved in these cool projects, uh, much like you guys are, uh, where uh, city councils will pay for us to work with community schools. And uh, often now what's arising are what I might call interfaith um, communities where we'll train um, Catholic schools, government schools, and Islamic schools all together. And that's a pretty nice way to share this work because they're saying, you know what, we have students who are coming to families that are new to Australia. We also have uh, families that are experiencing generational disadvantage and trauma. And often those families are ping-ponging between the schools in our community. So we want to make sure all the teachers learn the same strategies. 
Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you're starting to have the opportunity to take more of a systemic approach, which is so, we know, going to have the most impact, really. But also, I suppose, the the bottom-up is so important as well, isn't it, still? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a pretty nice uh, way to... I know we're probably going to wrap this up Mm. in a few minutes. Uh, That's why I'm just so proud to be here, and I Mm. represent uh, 1,400 people at Barry Street staff Mm. um, who know that I'm here, and... You know, we're just uh, so lucky uh, to be partnering with you guys mm. tonight and in this work and uh, in our new book, The Brain mm. Breaks book, yeah. uh, to show to show a whole bunch of people that it's about working together and mm. that these are really big systemic concerns and we're a system and we get to partner with each other. Well, on that note, Tom, thank <laughs> you so much for your time. I've just, I've learnt so much and it's just so nice to hear I suppose, about the thought and the rigour, um, but the heart behind the work that you do. And congratulations on finishing your PhD. That's amazing. (laughs) And we look forward to more conversations to come. Thank you, Rhiannon. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please feel free to refer to the fact sheet, which is available on our website at www.instituteofpositiveeducation.com.